This is a Soulfire production. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. I'm here with you today, and we're going to change things up just a little bit for today's show. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but some things have happened. A couple of things have happened. Uh, the Taliban took Afghanistan. So we're dealing with that. That's where we're at right now. That's what we've got going on. And, I mean, there's, there's not really much else to talk about, right? We can talk about different coverage of it. We can break into different things. Uh, apparently, conservative media is pretending pretending like it's 2004 again, and we're having the same conversations we had around, uh, very reminiscent of the WMD conversation. Very strange, very odd. Uh, don't understand what the position is there. We have Charlie Kirk saying, I'm not going to play this on the show because it's not worth our time, but Charlie Kirk saying this whole thing is a ploy so that Joe Biden can get uh, more Democrat voters from the Afghan people. So the people that he brings over um, as we try to evacuate people from Afghanistan that were assets to the United States, as we try to evacuate them, Charlie Kirkton thinks that as a plan to, um, I guess, create some gratitude amongst those people with the Democratic Party and turn them into voters. I just, I don't, I don't know. I can't really wrap my mind around why we would go through all of that just to, I don't, I can't, it makes no sense to me. And I watched Mark Levin today, fear monger and talk about how we're about to get, we're going to be attacked by more terrorists. I will say this before we get into just talking about it. And that's what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about that today. Know something to think about that segment's off the table. We're just going to do this for a little while, maybe short, maybe long. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to go through and read through some of my uh, some of my favorite takes on this from some different perspectives. Glenn Greenwald, uh, something Barry Weiss shared, Matt Taibbi. But, yeah, like Mark Levin saying, doing exactly what he would do. He's never met a war he didn't love. You know, he didn't, he, and, and it's pretty clear when these people discuss uh, that they never wanted us to leave. This was a permanent, this was supposed to be a permanent occupation. And you're seeing that now. I mean, these, these, these fucking military industrial complex shills that work for major media outlets are just fucking embarrassing. Just embarrassing. I mean, and that's that's what's being fed to the fucking boomer class. Spoon fed. I just I, I don't I don't understand it. I don't understand why we think we have the fucking right. Why people, not we, I wouldn't I won't say because this is the most unpopular war since Vietnam, hands down. I don't understand what makes a country feel like they have the fucking right to occupy another country for two decades. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. And we can talk, we can talk about all kinds of things. We're going to, and there's some coverage on this that I think is really important, but this is a kind of air it out here. This is, this is insane. And yeah, could it have been done better? Yeah. You know what? Let's just fucking get into it. Let's just get into it. There's no as a day. There's no bonus segments. We're just talking about Afghanistan, and I think it's time to do just that. What a fucking week. Wow. Let's get into it.
thanks to our military, our allies, and the brave fighters of Afghanistan, the Taliban regime is coming to an end. Yet our responsibilities to the people of Afghanistan have not ended. We work for a new era of human rights and human dignity in that country. All right, new era of human rights and human dignity in the Taliban is coming to an end. That's what our dear friend George W. Bush had to say in 2001. And here we are, 20 years later, doing exactly what we're doing today. This is what's happening. I mean, the, the, the Taliban is taking Kabul. They, they have Afghanistan. They have come out and say that they are for women's rights and for women getting an education and that they are um, for freedom of speech even. Which, I mean, I guess they're on some kind of PR train uh, as if we're supposed to forget um, who, they, who they are. But maybe they're a progressive faction now. Maybe they've maybe they re reevaluated themselves and are going through a total rebrand. Who fucking knows? Who really fucking knows? I guess it's possible. I guess anything's possible. But I think one thing that we have to talk about here as we just pontificate for a little while on this situation is we have to keep in mind that it's not necessarily appropriate to project American values onto other countries. Okay? Especially countries where it's commonplace to stone people still. They're living in the 13th century in many ways. It is what it is. Now, I know we wouldn't give as a country, as a, let's not even say that, as a government, the United States would not give a fuck about Afghanistan if they were not uh, resource rich. Right? Whether we're talking about poppy, opium, lithium, oil, all these things. But I, I want to start by saying this. I want to be very clear about this. I think that Biden is the fall guy here. I think that Biden is the fall guy here, knowing that he's most likely a one-term president. And what he said, what he has said, I thought was incredibly based. He does not want to pass this on to another president. That if we're not going to get it done in 20 years, it's not going to get done. The most powerful military the world has ever seen cannot create some order in a country that we occupy for two decades and it falls apart in 13 seconds after we leave, then it was a waste of fucking time. And that is hard to wrap our minds around. It is hard. And for the servicemen and women out there, I can only imagine what this feels like. I have zero context for what that must feel like. But goddamn, I feel for you today. I feel for you today. This is brutal. Brutal. No one wants to see this. No one wants to see this suffering. At all. It is heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching to watch somebody clinging to a cargo plane and falling off. It's also heart-wrenching to watch people cheer on the Taliban. Both of those things are true. And we need to do a better job of getting people that were allies of ours out of that country. And I think Biden, and you see this glossed over, but made that clear. Saying that we're going to get these people the fuck out. And if you fuck with us, we will retaliate, and it will be brutal. That's the line to take here. As we're talking about this, we need to say, hey, 
we are getting these people out. If you start murdering people in the streets, we will blow that whole motherfucker up. We will scorch earth that bitch. I don't, and I don't understand. That's the, that's the only thing that these people seem to understand, right? We, I, there's, there's something to be said for that, of threatening violence, saying, hey, if you start killing our allies and their families, we will find all of you and all of your families and kill every last one of you. If that's what you want to do. That's the line you have to take. Because self-preservation is a very strong driver of human behavior. So I want to bring the first thing up here. One of the, one of the, uh, the takes that I appreciate from Justin Amash. And Barry Weiss shared this on her Substack. Biden also looks to have made good on his pledge to leave Afghanistan despite the political risk. This sudden and total collapse of Afghan forces confirms the rightness of his decision as a policy matter, even if he pays the price politically. If after billions of dollars and 20 years, trillions of dollars and 20 years of preparation, Afghan forces were unable to stand on their own feet without continuous U.S. support, then it was never going to work out. That is so true. If there's one constant in politics, it's that people in power will perpetuate lies to protect themselves from accountability. Let me read that for you again. If there's one constant in politics, it's that people in power will perpetuate lies to protect themselves from accountability. Our political leaders have long recognized the the futility of U.S. efforts to reshape Afghanistan. But the more lives lost, the more money funneled into the conflict, and the more they sought to conceal the truth from the public. Hubris bolted the status quo. If they, could not hold, if they could hold out a bit longer, they might defy the inevitable. Politicians justified the extended mission on grounds of humanitarianism and denying terrorism a safe haven. Or terrorists a safe haven, excuse me. But if those are legitimate rationales for the U.S. occupation, then there are dozens of other countries we must invade. Including some of our allies, by the way. And while U.S. troop casualties are down, U.S. strikes in Afghanistan reached record numbers in recent years, devastating the population. We don't know what will happen to Afghanistan in the years to come. But we do know that liberty and peace cannot be imposed through force. Liberty and peace cannot be imposed through force. The people of Afghanistan must shape their own future, and we must accept the uncertainty that comes from living in a world we cannot control. We must accept the uncertainty that comes from living in a world we cannot control. The arrogance of the United States. And that's, that's it from Justin Amash. That's the reality. We live in a world we cannot control. The United States may act like it has it holds the puppet strings to the entire geopolitical reality. But that is not the case. And it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that we fucking lost. And yes, is this like Vietnam? Of course. In many ways it is. But we see this 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 photo that everyone keeps sharing the the side by side of Saigon and Kabul, and the helicopter, and, and what Biden said about it not becoming Saigon, and there not being people lifted from the embassy. Of course, he was fucking wrong, and that was stupid. He was wrong, and that was stupid. It was a stupid thing to say. 
That being said, it doesn't make his decision wrong to pull out. Sagar said this. Sagar and Jetty said this. This is what ending a war looks like. Since we, we love endless wars, we don't get to see the end of a war very often, and we really haven't since Vietnam, of something like this scale. But this is what ending a war looks like. And the fact that Biden is willing to take the political consequences of this, which are going to be severe, is something that the arrogance and the narcissism of Barack Obama and Donald Trump would not allow them to do. People say, well, Trump would have had a better plan. Trump would have done this. Trump would have done that. Here's what Trump would have done. He would have gotten rolled by the military-industrial complex because he was a fucking coward. If Trump had the, the, the stones to pull this off, then he would have pardoned Assange and Snowden and brought them home. But he didn't, because he's a pussy. He would have gotten rolled. His, do you think that guy's ego would have allowed him to take this stain? And this was never going to be smooth and organized. You hear this all the time. It should have been more organized. What about this entire conflict was organized? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who spent time over there? Really? It should have been more organized. It should have never fucking happened. It should have never happened. And yeah, there are some people who don't deserve to die that are going to die at the hands of the Taliban. But you know what? There were hundreds of thousands of people who didn't deserve to die that died at the hands of the United States. If he had drone strikes and bombings and God knows what the fuck else. So spare me with your fucking moral high ground. I don't have time for that bullshit. Now, what we saw happen so fast was this downfall. It was astonishingly fast. And I want to say this. I want to offer this to you. Maybe that's what happens when you have a society that's split on whether or not they like the Taliban. They're in undecided in, in large part. And also, the leaders that you appoint are warlords with child sex slaves that are just funneling money out of the crisis and draining the fucking American treasury. That's what we're doing here. They're just funneling money. We, we backed the, we, have we ever backed anybody that worked out well? Maybe somebody in South Korea once? What are we doing here? You back corrupt fucking warlords and you expect them not to bail out at the, at the, at the moment of, of highest strife with suitcases full of money. Millions of American dollars. Now they're in the United Arab Emirates. Okay. That makes sense. No one saw that coming. <sighs> Tons of incompetence. Tons of incompetence in the Afghan leadership, in the United States leadership, of course. But people are thinking this is so bad. This could be so much worse. As of now, there hasn't been mass violence. There's not tons of bodies piled up in the streets, and we can be grateful for that at least. But I will tell you this, as we look back at how we stayed in this war for so long, look at the people, follow the fucking money here. Follow the money here. Dick Cheney, Liz Cheney parroting her daddy, the fucking war criminal. The Bushes, the Clintons, military industrial complex. The Taliban warlords that we backed, they all won. They don't give a fuck about human life. They don't give a fuck about humanitarian issues. If we gave a shit about humanitarian issues, 
We wouldn't be allies with Saudi Arabia where they'll execute you in the streets for witchcraft and sorcery. And they love gay people and women in Saudi Arabia? Come on. Give me a fucking break. Human rights issues. The fuck are we talking about? And there's one thing that's been true, and I've heard this from people in the military, from people who cover this. The Taliban is stronger now than they were 20 years ago. And what's the common denominator? United States occupation. What, what else is there to say? Now, we saw all of the videos of the, of the weapons being turned over and the Taliban taking over these weapons. Who does that benefit, I wonder? Who does a well-armed Taliban benefit, I wonder? Raytheon? Boeing? General Dynamics? Halliburton? They benefit from a well-armed Taliban that's over there causing, causing all kinds of shit. Stirring things up. Think about that. Now, of course, we wanted to arm the Afghan military to be able to take care of themselves. So whenever they ran, turn and ran, which they didn't have a choice because they were going to lose fucking regardless, all those weapons were always going to end up in the hands of the Taliban. <sighs> I might end up with an ounce of respect for Biden after all this, just for taking this heat and doing something that no one else had the fucking balls to do. So I want to read this here. Matt Taibbi wrote this piece. We're actually going to read the whole thing. Um, I'm going to do my best with my third grade reading level. And I highly recommend you go through here and watch this, this interview between Jake Tapper, the CIA mouthpiece, and uh, Anthony Blinken, a mouthpiece for the federal government, I guess. <sighs> Anyways, it says, Afghanistan, we never learn. As the Taliban waltzes into Kabul, the look of surprise in the faces of top officials should frighten us most of all. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, when asked months ago about the possibility that there might be a significant deterioration of the security picture in Afghanistan once the United States withdrew his forces, said, I don't think it's going to be something that happens from a Friday to a Monday. Well, that's what happened, Blinken. Blinken's Nostradamus moment was somehow one-upped by that of his boss, Joe Biden, who on July 8th had the following exchange with the press. Our own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghanistan government will likely collapse. Biden says, that's not true. They did not reach that conclusion. There's going to be no circumstances where you see people lifted off the roof of an embassy. The likelihood that you're going to see the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. That was a moronic thing to say. It was pretty fucking clear that's exactly what was going to happen. Even in me, as somebody who focuses on domestic policy, called that a month and a half ago. When we were discussing at that time with the resistance of Rand Paul, we were discussing at that time getting our allies the fuck out of Afghanistan. Anyways, moving on here. Down to their own stunningly inaccurate misrepresentations of what would take place once our military forces left the country, the Biden administration officials could not have scripted a worse ending to the 20-year disaster that has been the occupation of Afghanistan. Every image coming out of Afghanistan 
This past weekend was an advertisement for the incompetence, arrogance, and double-dealing nature of American foreign policy leaders. Scenes of military dogs being evacuated while troops fire weapons into the air to disperse humans desperate for a seat out of the country will force every theoretical future ally to think twice about partnering with us. Yeah, no shit. (sighs) News that the military was forced to redeploy troops to Afghanistan in order to ensure orderly and safe withdrawal is being met with justifiable eye-rolling worldwide. It's a little late for that. The pattern is always the same. We go places we're not welcome. Tell the public a confounding political problem that can be solved militarily and lie about our motives in occupying the country to boot. Then we pick a local civilian political authority to back that inevitably proves to be corrupt and repressive, increasing local antagonism towards the American presence. Yeah, does that sound familiar to anybody? Does that sound like a pattern? In response to those increasing levels of antagonism, we then ramp up our financial, political, and military commitment to the mission which in turn heightens our level, excuse me, it turns heightens the level of resistance, leading to greater loss of lives and treasure. As the cycle worsens, the government systematically accelerates the lies to the public about our level of quote-unquote progress. Throughout, we make false assurances of security that are believed by significant numbers of local civilians, guaranteeing they will later either become refugees or targets of, for retribution as collaborators. We're seeing that happen right now. Meanwhile, financial incentives for contractors, along with political disincentives to uh, admission of failure, prolong the mission. Meanwhile, financial incentives for contractors, along with political disincentives to admission of failure, prolong the mission. The political disincentives to admission of failure are huge. And that is the stain that Joe Biden will have on his legacy. But for those of us who wanted to see this thing end, That may bring us a little bit of, um, like I said, a little respect. This all goes on for so long that the lies become institutionalized. Believed not only by press contracted to deliver the propaganda. CBS's David Martin this weekend saying with a straight face, everybody is surprised by the speed of this collapse was typical. But even by the bureaucrats who concocted the deception in the first place. So I like this part about the lies being becoming institutionalized. Just parroted. Believed not only by the press contracted to deliver the propaganda, but even the bureaucrats who concocted the deception in the first place. The look of genuine shock on the face of Tony Blinken this weekend as he jousted with Jake Tapper about Biden's comments from July should tell people around the world something important about the United States. In addition to all the other things about us that are dangerous, we lack Self-knowledge. We lack self-knowledge. That's so true. Even deep inside the machine of American power, where everyone's paying even a modicum of attention over the last 20 years, should have known Kabul would fall in a heartbeat. They still believe their own legends, which means this will happen again, and probably sooner rather than later. Well said, Matt. Well said. So, it's a pattern. It's a pattern. And now China will benefit from this. Trump ensured that. And then Biden, of course. 
Because the only way for us to really like uh, keep some kind of trade relationship with the with with Afghanistan is by dealing with the Taliban. It is what it is. It is what it is. Now we have to confront the narrative that this increases the risk of terrorist attacks towards the United States. As I said earlier, I think self-preservation is a very strong part of human nature. Now, it's not as strong as belief, especially belief in narratives that like something like religion and something as aggressive as Islam could definitely overrun. But I think as a group, the Taliban knows that offensive action towards the United States would lead to more of the same that they've been dealing with. And maybe they want that. Maybe they need that. Maybe it's good for their own PR amongst themselves. Fuck if I know. But I have a hard time believing that the Taliban is going to harbor any terrorists that want to offensively attack the United States or do an offensive attack themselves. And if something were to happen, I would look at it much different than I'd looked at September 11th at the time. I would look at it more like I look at September 11th now. Like there's a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of really shady information that's leaked out over the past 20 years. One of which being that 14 of the 19 hijackers were Saudis. Had nothing to do with Iran or Afghanistan. But, you know, there's a bunch of missing papers that were supposed to be a part of uh, the report. (laughs) Where'd those go? Maybe we shouldn't back warlords in the name of democracy. Now, I think that we have to also consider this with this, us pulling out, seeming unprepared, seeming disorganized. I think part of this is that the people who pulled the strings didn't actually expect for this to happen. They didn't actually expect for it to follow through. And by the time it became a reality, it was too late to be organized. We also have to consider that. So let's read something here from Glenn Greenwald, another person who has strong takes on this situation. The pattern of lying was virtually identical throughout several administrations when it came to Afghanistan. In 2019, the Washington Post, obviously with a nod to the Pentagon Papers, published a report about secret documents it dubbed the Afghanistan Papers, a secret history of the war. Under the headline, At War with the Truth, the Post summarized its findings. U.S. officials constantly said they were making progress. They were not. They knew it. An exclusive Post investigation found. Years, and this is from the actual report, they explained, years after, or year after year, excuse me, year after year, U.S. generals have said in public they are making steady progress on this central plank of their strategy to train a robust Afghan army and national police force that can defend the country without foreign help. In the lessons learned interview, however, U.S. military uh, trainers described the Afghan security forces as incompetent, unmotivated, and rife with deserters. They also accused Afghan commanders of pocketing salaries paid by U.S. taxpayers for tens of thousands of ghost soldiers. 
None expressed confidence that the Afghan army and police could ever fend off, much less defeat the Taliban on their own. More than 60,000 members of the Afghan security forces have been killed, a casualty rate the U.S. commander have called unsustainable. As the Post explained, the documents contradicted a long chorus of public statements from the U.S. presidents, military uh, commanders, and diplomats who assured Americans year after year that they were making progress in Afghanistan and that the war was worth fighting. Those documents dispel any doubt about whether these falsehoods were intentional. Several of those, and this is from the, the, the documents as well, Several of those interviewed described explicit and sustained efforts by the U.S. government to deliberately mislead the public. They said it was common at military headquarters in Kabul and at the White House to distort statistics to make it appear the U.S. was winning the war when it was not. Every data data point was altered to present the best possible picture. Bob Crowley, an Army colonel who served as a senior counterinsurgency advisor to the U.S. military commanders in 2013 and 2014 told government interviewers. Surveys, for instance, were totally unreliable but reinforced that everything we were doing was right and was, uh, and we became a self-licking ice cream cone. John Spor- uh, Sporko, uh, excuse me, John Sopko, the head of the federal agency that conducts the interviews, acknowledged to the Post that the documents shown showed the American people have consistently been lied to. Last month, the independent journalist Michael Tracy, writing at Substack, interviewed a U.S. veteran of the war of the war in Afghanistan. The former shoulder, soldier, whose job was to work in training programs for the Afghan police and also participated in tra- training briefings for the Afghan military, described in detail why the program to train Afghan security forces was such an obvious failure and even a farce. I don't think I could overstate that this was a system just basically designed for funneling money and wasting or, or losing equipment, he said. And some, as far as the U.S. military presence there, I just viewed it as a big money funneling operation, an endless money pit for U.S. security contractors and Afghan warlords, all of whom knew they had no real progress to be made, just sucking up as much U.S. taxpayer money as they could before the inevitable withdrawal and takeover by the Taliban. And today, we have the Taliban riding bumper cars in Afghanistan. Literally. Literally, that's where we're at. I'm glad this war is over. I am proud of Joe Biden. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in the next few months. But... The idea that the person that you like more than Biden would have done it better is naive. The idea that if we just needed a few more months is naive. The idea that if we hang around 15 more years or left 15 years earlier would have made any fucking difference at all is naive. 2,400 Americans died. Countless have PTSD, injuries, visible and invisible, ruined relationships, suicide. And there's people in this country, leaders in this country, who want this to continue and want to do it again. 
fucking insane. Oh, man. It's a rough time right now, everybody. It's a rough time. And for all the veterans, I mean, I very much believe that you can be pro-strong military, pro-veteran, and aggressively anti-war. And I believe that because I am. We can do better. We can be better. This is a good start. I want to give credit to Joe Biden and his administration. I will have people in the comments of this video when it goes out saying, well, Joe Biden doesn't even know where he is. Well, if it took a brain dead old man to get us out of the war, then I'm sure as fuck glad I voted for him. Dementia or not. And I have not said since the day I turned in that fucking ballot, I have not said, I'm glad I voted for this guy. But I am today. I am this week. Could change next week. Could change tomorrow. Could change in five fucking minutes. Who knows? But I don't think Trump would have done this. I don't think Trump would have done this. It's too messy. It's too messy. Don't buy the fucking bullshit on mainstream media. No one's going to give it to you straight. They've never seen a war they don't like. They want blood. They want murder. They want bombs. And they want to use that to craft a narrative that makes you more of a nationalist or makes you hate America more, whatever it is. But you don't benefit. I don't benefit. The people that we're bringing democracy to sure as fuck don't benefit. We're living through some pretty interesting stuff, y'all. We really are. But I thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here. Agree with me, disagree with me. I understand both sides. <sighs> Wild times. Thank you so much for tuning in. I love you guys. Premium or not premium. I don't feel like I don't feel like pitching the Patreon. Join it if you want. It's not that time. Not that vibe. Keep your head on straight out there, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.